Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Afterword. I'm Dave Tish, and I am back. I know you missed me. I know you did. It's been two weeks without me in your life, without The Afterword in your life. Two weeks to fort- a fortnight, as it were. I know that you've missed it. I know. It's, it's, it's a challenge. I get it. In the words of Aaliyah, it's been a long time, and I shouldn't have left you without a dope beat to step to. But we are back. You know, everyone's back. I'm back. Jay Kim's back. Andy Gridley's back. They're here in the studio, and we're back in Matthew. We're talking about Jesus in this moment when he asked Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter responds, you're the Messiah. It's a big moment. Messiah is this huge term. Uh, it means the anointed one is kind of this priest and king kind of role that Jesus is going to play. There's only one Messiah. I'm not the Messiah. You're not the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. There's no such thing as multiple Messiah. There's just one. It's Jesus. And so so Peter responds. It's this huge moment in the in the narrative. So we're going to get into that. We're going to explore that. And, uh, and we're also going to talk about, um, you know, for the past couple of weeks, as you know, you're going to hear about this, but uh, I was in Rome. And I was in Italy, I was in Florence, and then we went to Greece. So I got to see some of these things, these places that the Bible talks about. And one of the most surreal moments was we were in the Vatican. And the Vatican has all sorts of art, right? Sistine Chapel, it's incredible. They've got Michelangelo's Pieta. It's it's unbelievable. So much art. They have the Christian catacombs that they unearthed. And uh, they just dug everything up and just put it right there in a museum. And I got to see them. I got to see like archaeologists like behind glass, like working on restoring these things, cleaning them. And it was just unbelievable. But the weirdest, the most surreal moment is you have like Michelangelo's Pieta, which is this, you know, many people think it's like the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar of sculptures. It's not the best in human history, but it's definitely top three, top four. And it's this gorgeous picture of Jesus and Mary, and it's moving as a piece of like Christian thought and art to think about Jesus and his death and what it means. And then of course, in the same gallery, right down the road, they've got this giant statue of Caesar Augustus, who like was on the scene when Jesus came into the world. And you could not get more different pictures of what it means to be a, a ruler or a leader. If, if you're familiar with the biblical story, Caesar Augustus holds a census. That's why Joseph and Mary have to go back to their, their town of origin. And the whole reason he does this is hold a census so he can figure out how many people are in the kingdom, so he can figure out how much to tax them, so he can build a bigger army, so he can build a bigger empire through military conquest and violence and killing. And it's just, you could not get more different than Jesus dying on the cross and Caesar killing people to expand his empire. It's just the juxtaposition. So we're going to talk a little bit about that, a tale of two kingdoms, a tale of um, the two kingdoms that are a war inside of us, the way of us and the way of Jesus. And uh, this this narrative kind of this moment in Matthew's gospel really does. Uh, it, it takes place in Caesarea Philippi, Caesarea, which is named after Caesar. I mean, this is Matthew is saying something about the clash of kingdoms, about what it means to be allegiant about what it means to follow Jesus, about what it means to call him Messiah as Peter does. So with that, let's just dive right in. I've got Jay Kim and Andy Gridley here, so it's going to be fun, and uh, let's get to it. It's been a long time, long time. we shouldn't have left you, left you without a dope step two, 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 step
All right. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Afterward. I'm excited. Yeah, you are. Yeah, I am. You're caffeinated. Well, I'm back from vacation. Welcome back Italy. You from just, Europe. You're yes, both of you. Shots. Well, yeah, yes, it was. Uh, there was espresso every, or cappuccinos every cappuccinos. day. Dave's not a coffee guy. Though. I'm not, but it's so good in Italy. Mm-hmm. It's so good. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you know what the best thing I had to eat though. <clears throat> Can what? I tell you? Yeah, I know. Steak Florentine. Uh, Ooh, I thought you were going to say gelato. Nice, uh, well, man. I had gelato almost every day. Steak Florentine. It was awesome. so we bought it by the kilo. We got 2.2 kilos, which is a four and a half pounds of meat. I don't know my kilos. It's dry. Yeah, I don't either. Four it's four and a half pounds. It, 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 we, they dry age it for several weeks. And then you're they, talking about you went to the butcher and bought the meat and cooked it. No, no, no. I went to a restaurant called the Four Lions. Oh, okay. Mm. Quattro Leones, mm. I think in Italian. Okay. If I'm right. <laughs> right here, there's three lions. <laughs> okay. We're just missing one. And while we were there, the waiter brings out the meat, and it's just a mass, massive amounts. And they, yeah. and it's like basically T-bone, but it's oh, dry nice. aged. Yeah, nice. And it's per, and it's the butcher that makes the meat good. Yeah, because mm. it's the way the preparation. And then they cook it in this really unique way, like stand it on end for three minutes, stand it on this end for three minutes. How do you do your steak? Medium rare? No, so they or? don't ask you. Oh, They're like, you eat it the way they, yeah, yes. We prepare it the way, and yeah, they we're ask We're not you. butchering this with uh, yes. extra well done for you. You're Correct. just eating it the way we, yeah, They say, yes. do you want it like rare or not as rare? That's oh, the only okay. option okay, you have. gotcha. So and you I have said, a little bit of an option. Just a tiny, yeah. tiny margin. Yep. And I said not quite as rare, because I like, and it was unbelievable did you cry mm. well yes tear. and and just it mm. was one of the best if not the best steak i've ever eaten in my yeah. life and oh, that's and, cool and to answer question yes i have been to outback steakhouse <laughs> so <laughs> no like i remember jay alexander's and ruth's chris and all those high-end steakhouses this this rivals this all best, of huh? this rivals all Man. of those so yeah that's wow. awesome it was pretty great so when you say not as rare what does it come out like medium rare kind no of it's pink just in the middle no, or is pink it pink red Pink red, okay, but it's, yeah. it was it was butter. That's awesome. It was butter, a T-bone. That, yeah, it was like filet mignon. Wow. It was unbelievably tender. That's incredible. Man. It was awesome. That was what was the best thing you ate? Well, definitely gelato. Oh, yeah. what kind of I gelato? Mean, I had a lot of great meals, but um, we would kind of go from town to town in Italy, and I would always get stradicella. Oh, that. yeah, yeah. That was kind of like the that was the bar, and there was one particular place in Tuscany. So, for the folks that don't know, tell yeah. them what stradicella is. It, uh, it's it's like basically vanilla cream, mm. but with with like chocolate kind of. It's chips, like chocolate chips, like ribbon, mm. but hard. Yes, yes but yeah. it's like shavings, so shavings, shavings. Yeah, that's the right way to say it. Um, and we went to a little town in Tuscany region, and they had a sign that said "the best," like the best gelato in Italy. But they like they like won awards, all oh, kinds of wow. stuff. Yeah. And there was like probably fifty people standing in line oh, all wow. day long. Always a good sign. Time. Yeah. Oh, it was the best. And you had Stradicelli there That's at awesome. least twice a day. You know what? <laughs> My daughter discovered a flavor and she didn't get anything else the entire time. Melon, which Melon. is cantaloupe. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Unbelievably refreshing. Yeah. yeah. Especially on hot days. Cause it was like hundred, hundred degrees. Yeah. Woo. So I think what the people listening want is to see our vacation slides. I think that's really what <laughs> they came here for. Yeah. Uh, but we're back and we're back in the book of Matthew and yes. you guys um, let's get into this because um, it's a, it's an important part in the story. Um, and we're going it, to, it's where Jesus kind of basically asked Peter, who, you know, wh- everyone's talking about me. Like, who do you say I am? Mm-hmm. And Peter's response is particular. And it's this, it's kind of defining moment because it's, it's one of the first times that a character in this narrative, we know 
that Jesus is the Messiah. We've, we've seen the virgin birth as the, we, we've seen uh, the, the baptism uh, in, in, the, in the dove come and the voice from heaven. Uh, yeah. We've seen them defeat Satan in the desert. We've seen the miracles. We've seen the teaching. So we're following along, but this is, this is a public proclamation from Peter and Jesus kind of affirms this. So this is, is that, is that why this is so important? Because we follow, we're supposed to look like Matthew is setting Peter up as the, like the audience and we're supposed to identify and his proclamation is supposed to be our proclamation. Is that where you see it narratively? How do, how do you see this moment? Uh, yeah, I mean, Peter says the words, you are the Messiah, and that obviously is profound, but there are non-Jewish Gentile outsiders who've recognized Jesus before Peter. And I think that's intentional too. Matthew's writing to a Jewish audience, the story right before this, you know, this Matthew calls her a Canaanite woman, right? You know, which is, we talked about that a couple Sundays ago. She, she calls him the son of David, which is a messianic phrase. Yeah. So it, I think it's supposed to do both. I think it's... Oh, even uh, the centurion kind of recognizes uh -huh. mm -hmm. that you're something different than a man. Yeah. Like, yeah. So I think it's supposed to do both of those things. One, yeah, like he, he Peter says, it's the first time Jesus asks the question. So that's significant. Huh. He, those other times, it's not like he asked the Canaanite woman, well, who do you think I am? She just says it. Yeah. Son of David, you know, mm -hmm. have mercy on me. Um but he asked the question here, and I think that's what's significant. And it's sort of like the yeah. epic reveal moment in the text, like you said. Jesus is clear. It, he's, the story's been hinting at it, hinting at it, hinting at it. And now finally Jesus says, okay, well, who do you think I am? Like, who do you, who do you say I am? And then Peter says the words, you know, Mashiach, Messiah. You're the Christ, essentially, is what he says. That's literally what he says. Um, so it is a great reveal, but yeah, there's been hints of it leading up. Uh, yeah. I, I think, um, some of the work Jay, you did that, you know, I got to share with the South Hills team, just a, the context of where the, he, this question is being asked and, and, um, Peter's response. I think that was really fresh yeah. for me. Um, so I think that's part of it too, as far as answering your question, Dave, as far as what's going on here. That Matthew is a, is is trying to key us in that Caesarea Philippi is this important kind of place. Yeah, I mean, to his original audience, he wouldn't have had to do that, right? But to you us, know, yeah. what he says is, then they enter Caesarea Philippi, yeah. and that's about twenty five miles north of Galilee, the region um, where most of Jesus's work is done. So twenty five miles is not that far, you know, and and. People would have known. <laughs> it was a pretty major city. They were like, oh, holy smokes, that place, you know, mm. full of idols. That that place, um, the the city's actual name implies <laughs> that it's, it's dedicated yeah. to Caesar right. and to Herod, to one of the Herods. Yeah. You know, and um, and we talked about it in the teaching, but before that it was called Panaeus after Pan. You know, in his Greek labyrinth, God, the Pan. David Bowie movie. Yeah, is that one? Yeah. Is that one? <laughs> exactly. Panera. Is it yeah. after the overpriced yeah, hospital Panera. food? Yeah, hospital yeah. food. That's what. <laughs> that's amazing. That's what. Apologies I, to our sponsor, yeah, Panera Bread. <laughs> yeah, I know somebody here who Panera, works at Panera. Yeah, Panera used How to be dare called. You. It used to be called the. Jenny Saint actually Lu really enjoys Panera. It used to be called the St. Louis Bread Company, okay, and it was based wow. out of St. Louis, and it was unbelievable, and it spread, and you know, it people like it. 
I get it. I was just yeah. Kidding. I'm not a huge fan. Okay. Anyway, it's okay. So pan <laughs> I like the apple, but you you're saying get an apple with it. That's true. Pan yeah. was where we get the name Panic, right? Yeah. The Greek Peter God. Pan. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. So. Anyways, all that to say, to Andy's point, Jesus asked the question in a very specific, strategic place. Yeah, because that was a city that said the you know the the gods amongst us are yeah all of these different various sort of gods of the pantheon, and right. And Jesus says he's making a statement like, "No, it's me. Like I'm the guy mm-hmm. that's come to you know rescue and restore." So this is where it gets a little difficult, I think, for modern audiences to enter into the ancient world. The idea of a whole bunch of gods being worshipped daily. I had a friend who came, uh, who was a missionary and came back uh, to the States mm. and uh, was in Indonesia. And uh, remember there was an earthquake and there yeah. was this, and, yeah. and, and so they were doing some re- relief work out there. And there were people who would literally sacrifice a chicken mm-hmm. on behalf of the village. They would rotate. And put the blood like in a bowl mm. every morning, yeah, uh, because the 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 dark spirits would come and uh, afflict, and they had different you know gods that they would name that he didn't even know all their right. names. Yeah, uh, that feels super, I think, alien to a lot of yeah. uh, modern people in the Bay Area, where I think people would say we're we're post we're post post lots of things. Yeah, but your point is that we're kind of not. Mm-hmm. That humans actually still have idols and gods; they're just named different things. Yeah, um, and that's that's the human condition. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think I think the first thing. I mean, it didn't come up in the teaching, but I I think it was Keller who d- has done some good work to just say that perspective of your friend yeah. in Indonesia. That's the dominant perspective. There's yeah. an awareness of a spiritual world and uh, God's little G's, you know, yeah. and um, this idolatry, this worship is actually the predominant sort of worldview we just live in a strange little bubble yeah that's that sees things very differently and but we still have temples i mean yeah, yeah we have more big subversive, giant yeah. buildings that are dedicated to commerce and to sport mm-hmm. and to entertainment you know mm-hmm. i was thinking about like vegas just had did you see what they erected this giant sphere oh yeah and it has i saw like, it in person no you did not a couple weeks ago for oh. summer league yeah oh you went to Las yeah vegas i talked about it in the teaching oh, i was I in vegas for a day and yeah so there's something yeah, there. Yeah, I mean, we, we have coliseums. They literally are coliseums, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. where yeah. we wear the same color and sometimes we sing the same songs and we cheer. Mr. Brightside by the Killers. Yeah, we cheer for the same, you know, heroes sure. um, who are gods amongst us in some ways and, uh, you know, happens every Sunday in, in our country yeah. Yeah. for like six months a year and Saturdays, you know, on college campuses. And then it happens... You know, like seven days a week in um, the cathedrals we call malls. I mean, it's just, yeah. it happens, you know, yeah. all the time. Uh, Jamie Smith, James K. Smith in You Are What You Love. And then um, his more academic sort of uh, book, uh, I think it's Desiring the Kingdom. He's got a whole treatment he does uh-huh. on shopping malls in America uh-huh. and how they are really the modern cathedral, mm-hmm. you know, huh. um, and their worship services. Um, with rituals. Yeah. And yeah. an exchange, a monetary exchange yeah. for a value. And like he gets into the details of like sights and sounds and smells, uh-huh. you know, and sort Cin- of like Cinnabon. Cinnabon is a, is an incense. Hon- honestly, <laughs> he would say, yeah, like in a weird way, movie yeah. theater, popcorn, yes, right. all that yeah. stuff. And it's all, they to didn't, satiate, uh, the, to, the yeah. American, um, you know, whoever invented malls, they didn't 
they didn't whip that up out of thin air. It's all like human psychology yeah. stuff. We're worship. We're like worshiping creatures. We worship things. Yeah. So the the you know it's not just malls. It's all sorts of things. But yeah, we still worship. Is the point right? Yeah, we still have idols. So one of the things you're you're forcing us to do is kind of examine where we might have idols, um, because that's really important work. And that's it, it does seem like that's a little bit of what Jesus is pulling Peter and his disciples out of. There is a way of behaving and living, which um, is very common in this town, Caesarea Philippi, and very common in the ancient world. I'm trying to pull you out of that to refocus or recenter you uh, around me and my work and my kingdom, not Caesar, not his, all his things going on. And, and you put it um, that and you guys both quoted Tim Keller. He, he did a, a book, Counterfeit Gods, right? Yeah. yeah. That was yeah. what, it, and it's an idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give what only God can give. Yeah. So in in that way, we're still just as religious as the ancient folks, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, I think we're that um, we wouldn't call these things idols or, or consider it worship, but you know, when all of your in, intention and energy and resources and imagination are going towards that. You, you do have to ask the question, what, what is that? Yeah. And uh, yeah. w- we would say it's worship. And yeah. um, in the society we're in, we're, I, lots of things are, are subtly worshiped or more overtly, like through books or podcasts celebrated, you know, just the idea of financial success or stability, which is a good thing um, when it's worshiped and made an ultimate thing right? It's, um, it, it becomes an idol and people, you know, it's an idol when it's taken away and people come undone. When I, when I get angry or when I become undone, sure. When it starts touching some existential part of me, like I'm not safe because dot, 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 or I am great. So when a reaction internally is pretty intense, that's a good sign that something really is wrong inside. Is that, is that, is that a good litmus test you're saying? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, some some great writers have talked about that idea of just, you know, you'll know it's an idol when it's removed or the threat of it being removed or somebody's asking you to share it and you're not willing to share it because and you just start feeling that sort of tremor Angst, in your soul. Anxiety. Yeah. 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 And and through that lens, I think we could probably tease out there's a lot of those kinds of things in our valley, you know, right here, the idea of having um, kids who perform perfectly, you know, mm. having the perfect kids. Um, that look like a certain sort of psychographic sci- s- sort of model that we've all kind of ascribed to. And when they're not, oh no, something's wrong with them. Something's wrong with me. Right. You know, um, we, we have lots. Yeah. Your kid getting into the, that good school so that you can kind of feel good about it. That's uh-huh. education, unlock stores, yeah. that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, are th- is there another test that we can do? Because I think I think a lot of people listening would be like, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to have an idol. I know it's bad, um, but the diagnostic work of doing this is hard. Is hard. Is there is there a, a a spiritual practice that you guys? Is, is there a way to to for you guys that you found helpful for identifying these idols? Is it just solid? I I find when I go on vacation and I unplug from stuff, I come back with fresh eyes. Maybe you, you had some, you had a couple weeks in June. Did you come back with fresh eyes into this? Does that help you? Is it, what, what, what are, what are the things that have helped you identify? 
like the 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 real icky things that have subtly shifted us and pulled us away from God. What 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 do you what do you find? Yeah, I mean, in terms of diagnostics, I think what Andy said is probably, or for me, has been probably the most helpful. You know, paying, paying very attention. very mindful attention and honestly assessing my own reactivity when something valuable to me is either taken away or disrupted or the threat of disruption looms large. Um, that's almost always the best indicator for me. Uh, and asking the question, okay, how, how um, open and willing and able am I to surrender my anxiety about the potential threat to this particular part of my life, how willing and able am I to surrender that to the Lord? And then how much peace do I sense there, you know? So going on that journey is probably the most helpful diagnostic. Um, And it's good things and bad things and neutral things. You know, it's like my family can be an idol, you know, like Andy said, it could be, uh, my children and how they perform, you know, on the sort of public social stage, (laughs) you know, um, it could be, uh, and that's, those are like, technically they're good things. They're really wonderful things that can become idolatrous things when I'm unable to reckon with the reality that my children and my family, my wife, they're, they're gifts given to me by God to steward, um, to serve and to, um, surrender back to him for his glory and for the good of the world, including their own good. And, you know, so it's not to say I don't put any effort. I'm like, Oh, you're the Lord's and whatever. Just no, (laughs) I think it's about perspective and, and why we put forth the effort we put forth. And then there's like vices in our lives. I think that can also become idolatrous. You know, you just think about the stranglehold that various addictions can have on us. Yeah. And, and in those cases, sometimes, um, it's a it can be not always is, but it can be a little bit more obvious that oh my gosh, this is becoming an idol in my life. It's a little more incognito when it's a good thing, you know, like family. Yeah. it's very easy to spiritualize. Like, well, I'm doing I'm, this for I'm my kids. To love my yeah, yeah you know. Yeah. Um, but with vices, where it gets harder is uh, typically things that are more obviously not so great for us, not in alignment with God's will. Uh, you know, one of the most rampant ones nationally would be pornography, right? Most people would agree, like, and and almost all followers of Jesus would agree, pornography is not God's will. It's not God's design for healthy, flourishing human sexuality. Yeah. This is totally outside the boundaries of it's, you know, it, it's the source of great shame, all those sorts of things. And where those types of idols are are more challenging. It's not necessarily the sort of like, Oh my gosh, I'm spiritualizing it and justifying it. It's more emotional, psychological, physiological, you know, and shame too. Yeah. Right. All of that yeah. stuff. You don't want to, of course, you, you don't want to bring it up. Yeah. Right. Shame is a, is a, yeah, exactly. Shame is sort of a result sometimes, but the sort of stranglehold it has on you is, is, you know, addiction is just a very powerful thing. So where, where 
because you're asking the question like how do you identify and then then move forward you know it's exactly what you just said and we talk about this a lot here a part of the whole journey of belonging to a community a part of that is like bringing the stuff that's so hard to bring to light bringing it to light what I'm not saying to is certain trusted people. Yes, yes. exactly. Yeah. What I'm not saying in is we stand in front of everybody yeah. and say yeah, like, yeah. Hey everyone, I don't know you, but here's all my <clears> junk. <throat> yeah. Right. That's why community really matters. All those various spaces, you know, public and social, personal, and even yeah. intimate space with yeah. counseling or a mentor. Um, that's, that's one of the most powerful tools I think to sort of break um, our idolatrous addictions it was interesting we had a we have a lab here it's a marriage lab at south hills that we're going through uh, the alpha marriage course on the alpha is a is a big course that we we've done for years but the marriage course is something new and so we're piloting it and last night was on sexuality and sex and marriage and they were talking henry cloud was one of the guest speakers yeah and he said that um he had this really interesting perspective about pornography he said it's a it's a it's a cistern that holds no water and people go to it because they think, oh, this will help with my loneliness or my rejection yeah. or my sense yeah. of fear. That's right. So you're going, to, you're going to it for legitimate needs to be met, but it, it can't possibly. Yeah. And so getting out of that and, and acknowledging that with other people and saying, here's what I actually want. Here's what I actually am going for. And then having the courage to say that. He, he was like, that's the way out of this. That's good. Uh, I hadn't thought about vices being an idol. But yeah. you're, you're right because you're going to them to for what God, it, what, what you want God to provide, you know? Yeah, there's that verse. We um, we read it in the teaching, Psalm 115. What you just said reminds me of it. Mm. The psalmist says, um, idols, their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes mm. but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. And then here's a key. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. Mm. So you think, you know, what Henry Cloud, it's an empty cistern. We go to it to provide us something that it cannot possibly provide there's that keller quote i think you said it earlier about an idol is anything that absorbs our hearts and imaginations and we believe that it can give us something that only god can give right and what's really profound for me and and sort of convicting about what the psalmist says in psalm 115 is that the people who make those idols become like them but also people who trust in those idols become like them. And you think about people who have found freedom, for example, because we're talking about it, from addiction to porn, right? I've I've heard some of their stories. It's so fascinating what almost in some way they, they all say the version of the same thing, that they were going to their addiction um, for to fulfill them, but it was leaving them more and more empty. Yeah. And actually what broke them from the addiction was tasting and seeing the goodness of a life that was actually fulfilling, right? In, yeah. in God and in meaningful relationship. Right. And it, it helped. It's like they snapped out of what the psalmist is saying here. It's like, yeah. oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's all empty. It's all fake. And yeah. because I trusted in them, I was becoming empty. Yeah. I was becoming like almost not totally fully human. And in, in some ways, you know, people say you can't uh, break an addiction by trying to not be addicted, you almost have to become addicted to something else, you know? Yeah. And I think that's a part of it. We've got to become addicted to life and life to the full, the way Jesus offers it to us. Um, And that's the way that's the path out of all the emptiness. You know, did you just quote Carmen addicted to Jesus? I think, 
Carmen from the 90s? Yeah. Is yeah. that what you just did? A, I, I was once, yeah, I was once demon number two in the skit, <laughs> The Champion by Carmen. You remember that? Satan Bite the Dust? Yeah. No, I think it was called The Champion. I have no, no idea what you guys are talking okay. about. Yeah, man. Carmen, dude. Look it up. You too. Don't it. look it up. It's terrible. I do know who Peter Pan is. That yeah. Is. yeah. <laughs> you know, you asked a great question. Um, like, how do you know? What are some other uh-huh. diagnostics? I think a couple of weeks ago, you talked about this gap between my self like who I'm projecting to be versus who I am. And mm. I think you use Psalm 139, mm. which to me, I love. It's yeah. just these moments, like on a day-to-day basis, you know, Search some, me. some saints over the years have just basically um, created a practice of just like, hey God, is there any offensive way in me? Is there, and really just in inviting his spirit, it doesn't have to be once a day, but just like learning to kind of clue in like, wow, this this meeting matters too much. I was left out of this meeting. I'm feeling all like insecure and weird. Like, and the Holy spirit will be like, Hey man, like notice that. Yeah. Like you're, you're enough in me. You're like, why are you turning your work into an idol? Right? Like there's these moments where the spirit. So to me, that's one diagnostic of just kind of like listening to the spirit and you just got to practice that. That's one thing. And then the other one is uh, I agree with Jay. I think like community is a big deal and it's hard. It's embarrassing. But I've been in places and moments where people will be like, dude, like, do you see yourself the way we see you right now? <laughs> like, and in a loving way, but, uh, but that's vulnerable truth telling yeah. way. Yeah. Like, yeah. Hey, buddy. and I, I just think we just, uh, I heard Jay recently quoted again, you know, just that idea. You just can't do this kind of self-assessment. You need other people like the, the Christian life is impossible to do alone. And so if we really want to say, Jesus, you are the Messiah, you are the one I'm trusting, et cetera. I think like having a community, like a life group or whoever, um, to walk and journey with you, who know you really well, who know those areas that are probably your main temptations, whether it's work or like your muscles and you do crazy like amounts of weights or your children or pornography, whatever, whatever it is, these people who know like, Hey, you know, let me invite you back to that question that you've been asked thousands of times. Like, who do you think Jesus is? Yeah. It, it strikes me that also that you talk about, like, it, you have the chart kind of using God to get your stuff. Yeah. The stuff that you want, your desires, your wishes, your dreams, your goals. Yeah. Um, Like, hey, God, cool. Great. Now, if you could help me get this, that'd be awesome. Because right. that's really what I want. Right. And that feels really, first of all, kind of American- Second of all, really kind of Silicon Valley. And third, like really human. Like that's kind of what we do. Yeah. Um, how, is there a, I guess the question is like, how do we, sometimes we know when we're doing that, but sometimes the things, our goals are, they, they seem spiritual. Yeah. Like you even talked about like church, like church in general, like are doing good things or living out the things that we feel like God's put inside of us, you know? Yep. So like, how do we know that, I think what you're saying is really good. I'm just jumping in because I would hate for somebody to hear in this valley where people have literally moved to this area to, and at great sacrifice, um, to be here, to do a thing. I would hate for them to hear like, Oh, like God doesn't want you to be passionate or or to pursue a thing or to hustle like that. I don't think that's what was said at all, but I, I can understand some people as soon as, you lean into this conversation. The only point. way to be holy is to be a monk and to you're, live in the desert. That's not what we're saying. And just yeah. be like, yeah. meh. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. that's not yeah. it. Yeah, you're asking the question, like, how do you know when it's slipped from healthy ambition yeah. into 
Is that, is that, yeah, I think so. I think the idea, because ambition is all over this valley and productivity is all over this valley. Yeah. And some of that's really beautiful. That's the way God, God has made us to be productive. We're image bearers. We can make, we can work. We have tremendous capacity for it. Right. Yeah. So it's the idea of using God to get it. That's another diagnostic. It's like, Uh how do you, like you said, search me, oh God, that, and that makes a lot of sense for some of this stuff, but some of this stuff, it's like, well, I'm, I feel like I'm made to do this like uh, how, how so how do you un, un- te- tease out yeah. when you're using god for the thing instead of relishing in god himself yeah yeah i mean i, I think the the point of that whole uh exercise was to ask the question primarily not about our desires and our plans and our stuff is actually to ask the question because the text, Jesus is asking a question about himself. He's like, who do you say I am? And it's more about where God is in that whole process. Because yeah. I do think it's not, it's not like, you know, you're, it's not like you shouldn't have desires. It's not like you shouldn't have plans. It's not like you shouldn't, you know, like work hard and provide a life for yourself and for, and succeed all those like wonderful things, you know, which we said in the teaching, that's not the point. The point is where is God in that process? You know, because if, if God is a tool like the, the Augustine quote, idolatry is, worshiping anything that ought to be used and using anything that ought to be worshiped, which to me is very helpful. Oh, wow. Because usually we think about idolatry just as the first part. It's like, oh, I shouldn't worship the stuff that's just, that are tools. It's like, fair enough. But also Augustine's point, idolatry also works the other way. If you use something or someone that actually deserves your worship, that's a weird sort of strange backwards way of being idolatrous because you're misplacing he in in our sort of estimation as followers of Jesus, you're misplacing the God who deserves everything your entire life. So yeah, work hard, like hustle, do your thing, leverage your gifts and your unique abilities. And that will bear fruit in some form or fashion. And I'm not saying like, it's not some weird health and wealth gospel things like yeah. work hard and get rich. I don't know. I don't, like maybe you'll get be uber successful and be a, you know, multimillionaire or billionaire or whatever, or you're just like providing a, a yeah. nice life for your family yeah. or whatever. I don't know. But either way, the point is, where is God in the process? Yeah. Is he a tool you pull out of your back pocket to get you to the place you want to go? Or is he on the far side of all of that effort, all of that energy, having journeyed right alongside you as your father? Is he on the far side of your success and your achievements and all of that? Is he the center of it all? Like, mm-hmm. do you look to him and say, thank you, God? Mm-hmm. Like, this is from you and for you. Mm-hmm. And in whatever way possible, through all that you've given me, you know, the gifts of my life, my Mm -hmm. family, my success, my achievements, whatever, man, I want to do my best to bring you glory. I want people to know like this, this is because of God and it is for God, you know, Mm -hmm. and for God, we talk about this a lot at Westgate for God extends itself. It bleeds into the world as, you know, bringing good to others. Right. God says like the, like what's the greatest commandment? Love God and love your neighbor. And then he prays that beautiful prayer in John 17, love one another. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's why it comes down to the, to the three loves for us always. And I think that's the point we're trying to make. Like, yeah, it's not, 
you know, live, it's not everyone go be a desert father and be an ascetic and live in the <laughs> wilderness and caves. Although if that's what God's Although called you to do, some people are great. starting to move out of California. Yeah, totally, I totally. Yeah, I yeah. heard somebody moved to Tennessee. That's kind of like a cave. Wow. Uh, a lot of Tennessee hate <laughs> from Dave. I don't know why. Dave's from Ohio, so there's I don't a, know. There's a rivalry. No, know it's like out there. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's the point. Yeah. It's, it's where is God in, in that process, you know? Yeah, and the and the question interesting that Jesus asked, "Who do you say I am?" and then Peter's response is one of um, character formation for Peter. Mm. <laughs> like this is what Jesus is most primarily interested in is what's going on inside of Peter. Yeah, and not so much what uh, Peter does do great things for. Yeah, for I mean the rest of the story, but he also messes up quite a bit, and the whole thing is is Jesus the center. Yeah, for Peter. And that's the invitation, I think, for us is Jesus, our our center. What does that look like to make him more and more the center and more and more? And I think when that happens, the other stuff probably f- falls away a bit. Yeah, I, I don't even know that it's making him the center. I, I, w- I know what you're saying. What I would say is, like, it doesn't matter what you think or believe. Jesus is the center of uh. the human story. So the only choice we have is whether we live in alignment and recognition of that reality or live misaligned. It's like being a planet in the universe and saying the sun is not the center. It's me, you know, and and almost forcibly imagining that the rotation you are making around the sun is actually the sun rotating around you. You can believe that, but it's a lie. (laughs) Like you are orbiting around the sun. Yeah. And that's just, that is reality. And if you choose to live outside of that reality, you're living a lie. You're living a falsehood and it will have all sorts of effects on your life. Right. You know, and I think that's, again, to your point about emptiness, that's what it comes down to. Mm. It's just a total misalignment with reality. Like Jesus is the center of all things. Hmm. He's the Messiah, the Christ, the chosen one, the anointed one who's come to, you know, right. Is there another phrase you would use besides making Jesus the center or uh, other, other, other language that's been more helpful? Do you think? In your, no, I, I was just, I, I didn't I've, it, like you're saying that's, it, it's super true what you're saying on an individual level. I think I get what you're saying. It's like live in recognition of the fact that right. Jesus right. is the center, you know, cause you're right. We, we can make other things the center of our own little worlds, mm-hmm. but when we live that way, we're just living misaligned. From, uh, from and that, and reality. I love that. It's like a kid who thinks that can jump off the roof and fly. It's just, uh, that's not physics. Yeah. <laughs> right. I think it's like, again, just trying to be uber practical with what that looks like, the contrast between the two. Again, just thinking of like a, somebody who works in an office, like when, when you're trying to make Jesus the center, when he's the king, when we're surrendering, when this person's surrendering their job, they, they're like, okay, I'm going in today and I got this important meeting and I'm full of ambition. I want this thing to go up and to the right. And then there's some, some moment, it could be just a, like, a, like a tiny prayer, but just like, this is your meeting. This yeah. is this is your work. This is your good ideas you've given me. I, I can't really manifest where this goes. I want to try, and I think you've given me. But like God, I surrender this to you, That's to your good. glory, to somebody else. When when Jesus isn't the center, when he when I'm operating in such a way that I'm that planet that I think everything orbits around me, it's like oh my God, I have this meaning. It better. It must. It has to. We have to land on this thing. If not, uh, la, 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 you know. And there's just this sort of undoneness this i don't know what the right word anxiety is. anxiety yeah, yeah. That, tension yeah and it and literally as they walk in 
they are making that meeting, everybody in that meeting, all about themselves. And it's the opposite of giving God glory or for the good of the world. It's actually about them. Yeah. And unfortunately, I know what that, I, I thank God I have examples of both in my life, but I, unfortunately, I, I know when I um, have made a meeting or a kid or an ambition about myself, and, uh, and it really does lead to this really isolated, lonely, terrible, even yeah. if it's just five minutes, maybe not super existential, but the invitation of Jesus to Peter and to us, it's like, hey, um, come back, man. Like, come back to reality. Yeah. Like, I, I really am the king, and you can entrust me with everything that's so important in your life. Mm-hmm. Every good thing you can you can trust and surrender. doesn't mean it's always going to go up to the right to your point. This isn't some prosperity gospel. But even in the challenging moments, like, I'm still the king, I'm, and I'm, yeah. I'm undoing all sad things, right? I'm making everything good in its time. Romans, um, I'm, I'm making good things out of every... Um, what's the... What's the verse I'm trying to say? Um, you guys remember? Behold, I'm making all things new. No. Um, I work together for good. That's all, it. Yeah. Yeah. For all who are called according to his purpose and love him. Like we can surrender those things to him knowing that big picture, even if not in this life, in an eternity, like for his glory and the good of the world and for ours. Yeah. That, that it's worth surrendering to him. So I, I don't know. To me, it's just like very practical when I, when I, when I'm getting angsty and, and I am the center of the universe, there's probably an idol. Mm. There's two, just a close, there's two phrases you've used over and over again, Jay. Um, we can't control results, so trust them to God mm-hmm. and be faithful. Yeah. yeah. Faithful to God. And those things actually start alleviating that anxiety. Yeah. Because if you can't control outcomes and we can't, then we can just trust God to those. Right. That's a way of relinquishing that idol. Mm. And then the other is faithful, that my job is faithfulness to Jesus the King. Yeah. And if I do that, then something's going on in me, and then I can just, I can be a, th- that has a way of tamping down the anxiety, or at least diffusing it. At least those two phrases have been really helpful for me. Mm. So anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks for this. Um Thanks for, man, there's, there's a lot in this. There's probably a lot, there's a lot more. So in, in your life groups and your small groups and your conversation yeah. with your spouses and your friends, having these in with God himself with in, in your, in your private prayer times, these are great questions to yeah. ask. To, is there any wayward way within me? Is there any idol, anything I'm yeah. using? Uh, what's Augustine's quote again? Yeah. Idolatry is worshiping anything that ought to be used and using anything that ought to be worshiped. That's a good journal prompt. I have that tattooed on my back. No, you don't. (laughs) I just did it. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks guys. And we'll see you. you. We'll see you soon. Thank you. All right. See you next week, guys. Just want to say thanks to Jay Kim and Andy Gridley for stopping by. Join us next week when we're talking about when Jesus says to the people following him, if you want to be my disciple, you got to Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. One of the least motivational sentences in the history of humanity. Hey, you want to be a part of my movement? Uh, you're going to die. Come on. Let's uh, let's go. I mean, it just uh, breaks all the rules. But there it is. Jesus says it. And so we're going to dive into that. David Kim will be here to help me break down what it means to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And uh, it'll be an all David podcast, David and David. Very fun. So join us for that. And that'll be next week. And we'll see you then.